0: Welcome to Cradom, to the podcast journeying through the various articles of the Creed, the fundamental statement of our Catholic faith. This week's article is The Ascension of Jesus Christ. And the words of the Creed are these. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus and the Ascension. One simple reason for the Incarnation if you like, is that we were not capable of reaching heaven by ourselves, so Jesus had to come down from heaven to earth to make it possible for us. Now, in his ascension, he shows us the way we must follow to the home we are intended for, to our destiny, which is, of course, heaven itself. The early French saint, St. Cesarius, has a commentary on the ascension which begins with the instruction, Follow Christ! Always good advice, we might say, but particularly in the case of the ascension. So Censarius tells us, follow Christ, we know that Christ has risen and ascended into heaven, there then we must follow him. Heaven was beyond our reach before our head ascended there, but now if we are his members, why should we despair of arriving there ourselves? Now, in previous episodes of this podcast, we've talked about the theological term theosis, which means becoming like God, becoming like him so that we participate in his divine life and his divine nature. Well, the Ascension takes us back to this idea of theosis, of man becoming like God. You could even say that the Ascension shows the geography of theosis, What I mean by that is that there is, if you like, a kind of up-and-down dimension to theosis. Jesus brings his divinity, his Godhead, down to us from heaven to share it with us forever, and Jesus then takes our humanity up with him back to heaven. Pope Benedict, uh, as usual, writes, about this rather well when he describes the Feast of the Ascension as the expression of our belief that in Christ, human nature, the humanity in which we all share, has entered into the inner life of God in a new and hitherto unheard of way. It means that man has found an everlasting place in God. So we have found an everlasting place in God. We're talking then about the home we have in God. There's a beautiful and very well-known Peter scripture from the Gospel of St. John when Jesus talks about this home. and He says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And when I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So there you have the ascension, Jesus going ahead to prepare a place for us, to prepare a home for us with the Father, with his Father who is now our Father thanks to the Incarnation. And if you go to Mass on the Feast of the Ascension itself, what we all should do, as it is a holy day of obligation, there is uh, a rather lovely blessing at the end of matter, a solemn blessing, which goes like this. May Almighty God bless you, for on this very day, his only begotten Son pierced the heights of heaven and unlocked for you the way to ascend to where he is. So there, once again, you have the same idea expressed in prayer, Jesus unlocking the way for us to ascend to God. So you could say the Ascension is very much about our future, about our destiny. It is, in that sense, not just about the end of Jesus' life on earth, but just as much about the beginning of our life in heaven. Okay, so just a couple of other things to note about the Ascension. One is the timescale of this event. The Ascension takes place 40 days after the resurrection, and some people ask why that particular time scale is there? Well, one way of looking at that is to think about what the disciples are doing. The ascension really marked the beginning of the ministry of the disciples, the apostolic ministry, the beginnings of the apostolic church. You may remember last week we talked uh, about the job of the disciples being to witness to the resurrection. And this is the job Jesus gives to the disciples at the ascension. So this witness in this ministry is now beginning for them. And if we then go back and compare the beginning of Jesus' own ministry back in Galilee, what happens immediately before the beginning of his ministry? Well, he has 40 days of preparation. 40 days of preparation out in the desert in fasting and prayer. Then he begins his ministry. And as the gospel tells us, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so uh, then back to the ascension, the disciples have a similar 40 days of preparation, not so much in fasting, but certainly in prayer and in being taught by Jesus. And then they too begin in a very similar fashion to Jesus with the preaching of Peter, who says, repent and be baptised every one of you. So you can see it's a kind of parallel or imitation of Jesus' own period of preparation. And then finally, perhaps it's worth mentioning that the Ascension also has something to tell us about the church. So I'd like to turn for a moment to the church's visual tradition when it comes to the Ascension, and in particular to the iconographic tradition of depicting ascension because the ascension is one of the great traditional subjects for the painting of icons if you have a moment perhaps you'd like to look for one online on google or another search engine just search for ascension icon i'm sure you'll see a few and now there is a traditional very much a standard iconographic treatment of the ascension in icons the one i'm looking at right now is by the great russian icon painter of the early 15th century andrei rublev and again you can find the rublev ascension icon online but as i say this is very much a standard treatment so other traditional icons will look much the same and in the rublev icon of the ascension and in others like it your attention is drawn not so much to christ who is in the act of ascending in the upper part of the icon, rather your attention is drawn to the disciples below, and to the Blessed Virgin Mary at the centre of the group of the disciples. In fact, in the Rublev icon, for example, Mary is really the central figure, standing immediately below Christ, but depicted, in fact, as a larger figure than Christ himself, momentarily looming larger. Now why this concentration on Mary and this the disciples, why this kind of uh, enlarging of their status? Well, in the iconographic tradition, the Ascension is seen as an opportunity to depict the church. The Ascension throws the church into new significance, and indeed it teaches us something about the nature of the church. Just to give uh, one example of that, one of the Interesting exercises, it seems to me, that can be done when considering the ascension is to ask ourselves, what does Jesus leave behind when he ascends? What does Jesus leave behind? It's a useful exercise because, as I say, we can learn something from this about the church. And it's useful too because what Jesus doesn't leave behind is just as informative, so to speak, as what he does leave behind. So, for example, he doesn't leave behind him a book or a text of any kind. And Now, this always seems to me one of the simplest and most straightforward arguments against uh, Bible-dominated Christianity. I mean, the kind of Christianity which says we are only saved by and only live by what we read in the Bible. But if you look at the Ascension, as I say, you see that a Bible, a written text, is one of the things that Jesus definitely does not leave behind him. What he does leave behind him is, well, there are a few things that we can list them quite quickly. So, Jesus at the ascension leaves behind him a promise. Behold, I am with you always to the end of time. He leaves behind him a commission, what we call the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And Jesus, at the ascension, leaves behind, him, perhaps most concretely, a community. A community of disciples, what the Gospels and the Acts of the Apostles call in Greek an ecclesia, which becomes our word, the church. So again, to go back to that question about the precedence of Scripture, Jesus does not leave behind him a written text. But what he does leave behind him is a community, an ecclesia, who in the fullness of time, inspired by the Holy Spirit, will come to produce a written text. Which is why we should always read scripture through the lens, through the eyes of the church. Not read it with our own private, individual interpretations of what all this might mean. But read scripture through the lens of the church, through the eyes of the church. Because what the Ascension shows us is that the church, not scripture, came first. And as I've already mentioned, uh, the ascension marks the beginning of the great mission of the church to witness to the risen Christ, which is perhaps why in icons depicting the ascension, the real centre of attention is Mary and the disciples. The real centre of attention is the church. It's almost as if Jesus in the ascension is saying to us, Over to you now. Thank you so much for joining me this week. And do join me again next week for the next episode and the next article of the Creed. May God bless you all. And may he specially bless that journey of discovery we make together into the beauties of the Catholic faith. Amen.